You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Amen and good morning. It's really awesome to be in the house with y'all this morning. Um, this is my last Sunday with you before I take a little time off. And um, so this is my last message before I take time off. And this is my last message of my 50s. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And in all those six decades, I have suffered one broken bone. Anybody in here suffered more than one broken bone in your life? Anybody you've had? Oh, we've had several. Anybody suffered more than two broken bones in your life? Oh, wow, we've had several. Okay, well, then you can feel my pain when I say <laughs> that I've, I've uh, I suffered. It was my collarbone that I broke. Actually, I feel your pain. That's a lot. That's hard. Um, I'm, I'm not actually the person who broke my collarbone. It was Daryl Hicks who broke my collarbone with the help of another neighborhood kid. If you happen to know Daryl Hicks, please tell him I do not blame him. I'm not still carrying bitterness. However, it was Daryl Hicks who broke my collarbone. Uh, we were playing freeze tag in the neighbor's backyard, and Daryl was it. And he had me pinned in the back corner of the neighbor's yard, and um, and you know, and, and he was the one space between us. And just about then, the neighbor's child, who, the, the yard we were using, that child came home from their piano lesson and saw me pinned back there. And she knew that Daryl was going to, in any minute, he was going to tag me and then I would be freezed. I would be frozen. I would be left frozen, exiled in the back corner of the neighbor's yard. And so the neighbor's kid who had just returned from music lessons decided she was going to help me out. And Daryl was turned toward me, and I was pinned in the back corner of the yard, so he didn't even see her coming as she came running uh, up to the to behind him. By the time she was on me, he was sort of he hadn't even made sense of it yet. And she grabbed me by the arm, and she literally, I was a pretty scrawny little kid, literally drug me down the yard all the way to the tree, which was base, where she slammed my head into home base. And um, to her credit, I don't want to see him ungrateful. We made it, okay? I hit the tree head first just as Daryl arrived, and all the other kids agreed I was safe. I was safe, and the story should have ended there. But Daryl was pretty irritated by how things unfolded there in those last few minutes, and so he sat on me. He just sat right on my chest, and I will just say Daryl was not the smallest kid in the neighborhood, that's how I broke my collarbone. And I'm guessing the world is full of kids who suffered concussions and broken bones and other things trying to get to base in the middle of a mean game of tag. So the point of the story is not Daryl or my collarbone or the person who slammed my head into a tree trying to help me. I'm not bitter. The point of the story is that tree. When we played tag in the neighborhood, we almost always played in the neighbor's yard, and that tree was always base. Do you remember the tree in your neighborhood, or the rock, or the, or the porch, or the place that was base for you? Can I, has anybody else here played tag ever? 
Do you remember it? Okay, yeah. That was our base. That place where as long as you were touching it, you were safe. When you're on base, they can't come after you. You can rest there. You've been running hard. Even the guy who is it may run faster than you, may be bigger than you. But as long as you've got one finger, do you remember doing this? Yes. <laughs> as long as you've got one finger on base, there's not a thing he can do to you. I mean, except, of course, sit on you. But that's, a, that's an isolated incident. That's not the way the game's supposed to be played. So maybe when we make up games as children, we make a place called home base because we know in our gut that we need some place where we can feel safe where we can settle down for a minute and catch our breath. And maybe that's where the Israelites are when we find them in Exodus, excuse me, in Ezra chapter 3. I want you to if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Exodus, uh, excuse me, Ezra chapter 3. Um, Ezra is right before the book of Nehemiah, just a couple of three books before Psalms. Um, that's where we are this summer as we're exploring a story in Israel's history told in this book in Ezra. Um, so by the time we get to this place in Israel's story, we've already learned about their time in exile. Uh, they've, they've been driven out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar some 70 years before Ezra is written. And, and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed their city, left their glorious temple that had been built by Solomon in ruins. On his way out, as he drove the people out of their town, Nebuchadnezzar even stole all the stuff off their altar, the, gold, uh, the silver candelabras and the bowls and everything that they used in the work of worship. They stole all of it and used it. Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar didn't exactly, didn't just take the stuff off the altar. He used it on his other altars to serve other gods. How offensive is that? So now it's 70 years later, and Cyrus is the king of Persia. He's not a worshiper of Israel's God, but he's a kinder, gentler kind of leader, especially toward people who don't worship the same God as him. And so he has invited the people of Israel back to their homeland to rebuild the temple to their God. He even gives them back the things that belonged on their altar. And so chapter 3, verse 1 begins, In the seventh month, when the seventh month came... And the Israelites had settled. I want you to circle that word because it's, we, we, just circle it. Yeah, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Chapter 2 ended on that word settled, and so we talked about it last week. Chapter 3 begins on that word, settled. And so I want to remember what we said last week about that word because it seems like a prophetic word for us. In the Hebrew sense of that word, to be settled is not so much like the way we most often use it right now, like when we say, don't settle, or, or you shouldn't settle for second best. It's not like that. In the Hebrew sense of that word, it's more like the idea of being grounded. The Hebrew word literally means to cause to be no longer in a disturbed condition, to render quiet, to still, to rest. Settle means to put an end to a rough season. So biblical settling is not settling in the sense of compromise, but an invitation to settle our spirits, to be grounded, to find home base, 
We said last week that maybe this feels like a prophetic word for us right now. And today, I want to connect that prophetic word with another one that I found in Ezra chapter 3 and see if maybe we can find one word for all of us. So let's keep going, Ezra chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then verse 3, I want you to underline the whole first part of the sentence. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. And then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. And after that, they presented regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as, as, those, brought, as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. So, so basically, they're restoring their rhythms, their holy rhythms. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So that line that has gotten me for months now is, let's, let's read this together. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation. And that's a pig line. In this significant moment in Israel's history, settling down but still feeling the anxiety of people they don't trust all around them. I just don't, don't feel comfortable here yet. We've been in another place. We understood those enemies. We're not sure about here and who's an enemy and who's not. In, in this place, with people they just don't trust, they chose to build the altar first. That's how they grounded themselves. The altar became home base. So no wonder that's where they began when they returned to Jerusalem. That altar, in its messed up state, said so much about why the Israelites ended up in exile in the first place and why God had left to them to their own devices. The altar was destroyed in the takeover decades before, but the people of Israel had already trashed it. Listen to this. The, when Nebuchadnezzar got there, he ruined the altar. He crumbled it. But the people of Israel had already trashed it before the, the, they ever left Jerusalem, before Nebuchadnezzar ever got there. We know this because the prophet Ezekiel tells us. You might remember the first uh, Sunday of this series, we, we talked about the fact that there's pieces of this story scattered all over the Old Testament. So you sort of have to gather them all up in order to get the whole picture. So in, in Ezekiel, it says, it was like the people who had lived there before were trying to drive God out of his sanctuary. Someone had built an altar in the inner court that made God very jealous. I mean, that would be sort of like leaving a picture of your old flame up in your house after you get married. Not a good idea. Things were written and drawn on the temple walls that dishonored God. People were crying for their false gods. People sitting in the temple of God, bowing to the sun. Ezekiel tells us all this, and God says, how can you do this? How can you not see your own rebellion? So God removes his hand. 
And then they're driven out by their enemies where they live as wanderers for 70 years. And when they come back, the altar is still destroyed and the temple too, all the way down to the foundation. But with time and perspective, now maybe they can see what they've done. The heart of worship, the, the symbol of their devotion has been destroyed. And now they can see it. So the story in Ezra chapter 3 will tell us that after they rebuild the altar, then they'll gather supplies and they'll gather workers and they will lay the foundation of the temple itself. And when the foundation of the temple itself is laid, some people will be happy about it and rejoice and some people will cry. But I am moved, deeply moved, by the fact that they rebuilt the altar first. As we said that first week, it's sort of like, sort of like building your kitchen before you build the rest of your house. It's not logical, but that's what they did. They rebuilt the altar first. Because even though generations have passed since their years in exile, they still instinctively know that the altar, that intimate place of sacrifice and thanksgiving where their sins were acknowledged and covered, where faith is built and worship is stirred up, where the story would be told over and over with every sacrifice, that there is grace enough to cover every fallen choice and love enough to provide for every lack. That place where God brings people close to heaven, that place is the heart of everything. And even when I say that, I sense the power of the Holy Spirit. That place where we meet God, where mercy and grace are poured out, that's the heart of everything. In the Old Testament, after they have rebelled and run off and acted the fool, the altar was the place where the people of God connected with the heart of God. So despite their fear of the people around them, they rebuilt the altar. In the Old Testament, the word altar is used 400 times. I want you to remember that. The Hebrew word literally means a place of sacrifice. And it was very practically the place where sacrifices were made for sin and, and, and as an act of worship they were made and, and, as, and to thank God for his provision. So before any of those other things happen at the altar, it's a place of sacrifice. The first altar we find in the Bible, not the first offering, but the very first altar we find in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 8. It's the story of Noah and the flood. You know the story. The whole world has been flooded. The only life that's left is on a boat with no, that Noah built. Noah and his family and all those animals tough it out on a boat. You think you have pet problems. <laughs> tough it out on that boat. And then when it's all over, when the water is gone and the land is dry and plants start to sprout again, Noah and the animals disembark and right there, standing on dry ground, Noah builds an altar as an act of worship before this mighty God who has power to save and destroy. 
Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, animals God had instructed him to bring onto the ark just for this purpose. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. I have to tell you, that's a that's a stretch for me. I mean, I'm not sure I want to go. I mean, of course, I'm thinking like a 21st century American person where we, you know, we do things with our pets that we don't even do for our children. That would be hard to live on an ark with something, keep it alive for all that time, only to kill it on the other side. But maybe that's the point. Maybe altars are made, first of all, for real sacrifice, for things we feel the loss of when we let go of them. Maybe altars aren't where we put our leftovers or extras, but where we lay down the very things we want to hang on to. Yeah. Flip over a few chapters in, in, in Genesis, and you'll get to Genesis chapter 22 and the story of Abraham and that terrible altar. Abraham had actually really appreciated altars. He built four of them. Every time he moved, he built an altar as if to say, this is home for me. But then God had him built that terrifying altar, you know, the one, in, the one where Abraham is told to walk his son up a mountain and make a sacrifice out of him. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and you will be the father of many people. But before we get there, I need to know if you're willing to lay down on the altar of sacrifice all your earthly affections so there is nothing left between us. So Abraham's son Isaac becomes the sacrifice. But that altar teaches us, that altar on which he would lay teaches us that it is more than an object we place on the altar. It's our faith we place up there. The altar is where we define our faith. Abraham and Isaac both place their faith on that altar. Just as God puts Abraham to the test, Abraham puts God to the test in this moment. And if God does not come through, maybe Abraham will walk back down that mountain a heartbroken atheist. But that's not what happens. In that moment, just as Abraham raises his knife against his own child, you can hear in that stand his very declaration of faith. This is who I am. I am one whose life is bound to the one true God, whose life is surrendered to the one who has sustained me and will sustain me. I define my allegiance at this altar based on the one who defines me. The one I worship decides who I am. And I yield myself wholly to his leading. This is who I am and this, this is home for me. Whew. And when Abraham declared his allegiance, God heard it. And called out to him, Abraham, I see your faith. I see your faith. I see that you fear me, that you will withhold nothing from me. Now, worship. Altars are a place of sacrifice. 
Because altars are a place where faith is built as we lay things down and proclaim our allegiance to our God. So no wonder the people of Israel built their altar first when they found their way out of exile and back to Jerusalem. As children of Abraham, it was bred into them. This was home for them. So I've asked her permission to tell you about a conversation that uh, Catherine, the wonder intern, and she is, had with us, uh, had with me last week. Last, last weekend, Catherine was supposed to go to San Antonio to be with her family for Father's Day. Um, but, the, but the weather canceled her flight. In fact, the weather was bad all weekend long out in the mid- Midwest, terrible storms. So she never got out there. She, was, she ended up just not being able to go at all to be with her family for Father's Day. That's a bummer. But here we are. While all this is happening to her, here we are in Ezra, which Catherine the Wonder in turn was not so excited about when she first got here, um, but she's, given, she's been given some assignments by her mentor, so she's had to dive deep into this book. <laughs> and with all that had happened to her last week, some things started to click, and she wrote this as a reflection. It's too good not to share. Catherine writes, Even though God told the Israelites to rebuild the house of the Lord, he was already planning on making his home in us. With all the temple system, Old Testament people would have had to think, it takes so many sacrifices to be able to be in God's presence. How much more would it take for God's presence to be in us? And then, these are Catherine's words, cue Jesus, (laughs) Emmanuel. And God with us is sacrificed so we can have God in us. And eventually, Jesus sends the Spirit who makes God's home in us like a tag team relay race. We couldn't live in God's presence, so God's presence came to live in us. We don't have to build a temple, manufacture a revival, or beg for God's presence. God with us, in us, working through us has literally always been His plan. And that's way better than a building. We can all settle down because God has settled himself in us. And Catherine, who couldn't get home last weekend to see family and touch Texas soil, writes, I think it's all just a way of saying home is where the heart is. And God's people are his whole heart. And so the prophetic call is to tend to our hearts where God longs to settle himself, to rebuild that internal altar so that just as with Abraham, that becomes home base for us. We discover we can settle down when God has settled himself in us. Despite their fear of the people around them, They build the altar on its foundation. Maybe that's why they started with the altar instead of with the temple itself. Because the the, the altar is a place where old lives and bad habits and lifeless gods are laid down. And where sacrifices are made and lines are drawn so that anxious spirits can settle and be at peace. 
ultimately it is the heart that gets laid on the altar. That whole thing about getting a new heart, and that's central to the story of God, especially in the Old Testament. When the people were still in exile in Babylon, God spoke a word of hope over them so they wouldn't lose it before they get back to the altar. He actually painted a vision for them that was way beyond these days of Ezra and Nehemiah. A vision for them of a, of a day way in the future when the altar would be restored, but it would not be an altar made of stone or earth, but an altar made of flesh. Ezekiel records the vision, for I will take you out of the nations, Ezekiel says for God. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. For you will be my people and I will be your God. <sighs> Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That's a great longing of God. We get to hear the great longing of God. It's the vision he wanted his people to capture and become hungry for. I want to give you a new heart. I want to put a new spirit in you. I don't want to just tweak you. I'm not just here to tweak behavior. I want to change you. Paul remembers this vision and a message he gives to the Romans. He says, a person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And he's just echoing what Ezekiel and the exiles in Babylon and what Moses says to the, to the exiles who were coming out of Egypt way back in the days of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. It's a vision of a spiritual altar being placed into our very beings, a kind of virtual home base, a place where we can be home no matter where we are or what we're going through. So maybe we invent base for our games when we're kids because bred into us is a longing for home. For a place where when, you when you're holding on to it, they can try to come after you and they may even be bigger than you or faster. But as long as you're hanging on, as long as you've got a finger on base, there's not one thing they can do to you. You're, you're safe there. You can settle. So have you invited God, to settle himself in you. Do you remember that we said that that word for altar in the Old Testament is 400 times, repeated 400 times. In the New Testament, it's repeated 24 times. 
there's a huge shift. That's because in the New Testament, that relentless system of sacrifices was answered by one sacrifice for all time, Jesus. Those Old Testament sacrifices were relentless, a constant invitation into communion, but also a constant reminder of our hunger to get it right, to get back to home base, and ultimately of our powerless to make it happen on our own strength. But then, as Catherine says, cue Jesus. His cross, a kind of altar, the final word on sacrifice and the bold proclamation of grace over all our sin, one sacrifice for all time. So, when we come, when we come to this altar, into the presence of God, we, we bring nothing with us because there's nothing to add. Everything has been given when we stand before this sacrifice, placing on him all we've done to separate ourselves from God and make our own, we, we, we come, we come making our own confession and making our own proclamation. This is who I am. I am one whose life is bound to this one. My life is bound to the one true God whose Messiah is Jesus Christ. My life is surrendered to this one who has sustained me and will sustain me. I define my allegiance at this altar. This is home for me. It's where I settle. He decides who I am. And I yield myself wholly to his leading. That's crazy. I didn't even know how that's happening. <laughs> and we keep on coming to this place over and over and over. Not to make a new sacrifice, but to cling, to cling, to find home in the sacrifice that has already been made. That, friends, is the word for us today. It is that God longs to settle in our hearts, longs to build his altar there, longs to make his home in us and have us make our home in him. So the prayer of David is a prayer that God might give us the gift despite our fears and anxieties and questions and failings of a new heart where God can settle. I wonder if you would stand and let's make this our prayer. Letting deep call to deep. Let's pray this together. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is our sustenance. On the night Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat from this loaf, remember me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from this cup, remember me. And so, Lord, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts, one offering for all time. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with the offering that Christ has made for us. We trust the mystery of the faith, even if we don't understand it, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Hallelujah. Pour out your Holy Spirit over these gifts. and Make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ. Make us one with each other. Make us one with your purposes in the whole world. Release into us, Jesus, the fullness of your Holy Spirit and come and make your home here. So we're going to receive communion. I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, just to step forward about halfway between here and the chairs, about halfway between here and the chairs, because I want to give you guys time, I mean, a, a place to kneel and to be present at the altar of the Lord. You have an opportunity to come and to lay down as your own sacrifice anything, anything that stands between you and God. In fact, Lord, I, I just would ask now if there's anything in us right now that needs to be confessed, bring it to our minds. Give us a grace, Jesus. See what you see to confess our failings and our shortcomings, our fears. Jesus. I am so grateful, God, that because of your sacrifice, we can be confident that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we just continue to worship you. Meet us right here at the altar. Meet us here, God. Meet us here and let us make our home in you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. 
Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.